Welcome to the Discover Church Podcast. We are a Christian faith community based out of Denver, Colorado. Join us this week as we bring our uncertainties to an unchanging God. If you have any questions about the sermon, please feel free to send them in. You can email them to us at hello at discoverdenver.church. Good evening, everyone. Good evening. My name is Jay. So glad you're here with us this evening. And uh, I'm going to be continuing in our series we started last week called I Love My Church. I actually have a t-shirt to prove it. Let me zip it back up. But I, I just wanted to demonstrate that I have one. And we started last week uh, this series, I Love My Church, because frankly, it's not a phrase you hear very often. Is it? I mean, you hear people say things like, and I, I love God, or I'm a spiritual person. Uh, I've even heard people say often, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. Anyone, anyone ever heard anyone say that? Yeah, I've heard that. And then if you're not around this kind of thing or familiar with whatever it is that we're doing here tonight, which we would say is an expression of the church, uh, you might even just wonder, what is this thing anyway? Like, what's the point of any of this, of people that gather together or call themselves a part of a thing called a church? And whenever we think about something like this, we have to recognize that there's a ton of hurdles and obstacles that just exist in the culture at large that sort of mess with the way we think about things. You know, there's like boundaries and hurdles for us to understand how do things work um, as we read the scriptures because we don't live in the same time as the scriptures. The passage we just read uh, is from a long time ago, and they're dealing with all kinds of different things, and we're dealing with new things. And these create filters that make it difficult for us to understand maybe what's being intended uh, by the author. In this case, it was Paul. And one of the things that's really rampant that we're going to think about uh, tonight together that's really rampant in our current culture is our current culture is pretty contentious. There's a lot of aggression in the way that people are relating to each other. Did, I, did you not know that? Did you? Have you been aware? Maybe. I mean... If you have eyes in your head, uh, you probably have noticed this. And this aggression isn't just sort of like individual, right? It's the way that people are binding together and bonding together in different kinds of groups and ways of understanding themselves. And then these groups sort of like beat up on each other. So there's a two things going on. One is us trying to figure out who we are, how we fit with other people, and then how we get to beat up other people accordingly or get beat up. Right? Isn't that kind of what's going on? So, like, for example, you have Republicans and Democrats. I don't know if you've noticed. It's a little tense out there. <laughs> anybody, anybody, anybody paying attention? I mean, if you're paying any attention at all, it's a little, there's a little bit of tension out there. Just, just a little. There's a, there's a lot of racial tension in our country right now, if you haven't been paying attention. And how people uh, identify themselves and understand how they relate with other people who identify themselves differently. Right? Have you noticed any of that? If you haven't, I don't know what you're doing. Like, you know, you must be like Preston. You lost your phone. You have no idea what's going on out there. 
because uh, we're paying attention to all. This is what's happening. We have uh, all kinds of gender uh, tension. I mean, uh, if you just ask, people are asking really pretty simple questions like, what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? And how do these categories relate, right? Like, how, how is it that we interact with each other? Everybody just got real nervous. I can feel it in the room. Do you see, 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 even if you just say it out loud, people are like, oh, no, this is not going to be good. He should shut up. <laughs> Play a video. Get him, get him off the stage, right? Like, there's a level of intensity that is just running through our culture right now. And I find that the, the way that people are trying to manage this psychologically, emotionally, is often by trying not to identify with anything at all. If you ask someone, I mean, you should just try this this week. Ask people their political persuasion. Like, where do you fit? Like, what are you? What, what do you think you're a part of? I find more and more people are going, well, I mean, I wouldn't want to say I'm like a Republican or a Democrat. You know, I mean, I don't like it much of that. So what are you? You know, I'm somewhere in between in all these different ways. And, you know, I, I wouldn't really want to associate with anything specific. Would anyone want to? <laughs> There's a lot going on. There's... <laughs> would, anyone, would anyone say, yeah, I, I've heard that, if you don't want to admit that's you? Have a hard time associating with something specific, right? Because you're going, I mean, I wouldn't want to be categorized that way or this way. And there's so much tension. It means I have to join that argument or that fight in a certain way, right? See, that's going to affect how we think about what it means to be this thing called the church. I mean, it affects the way we think of what it means to throw in my lot to say, yeah, I love my church. See, I, I can remember, for me, many of you don't know me, but I wasn't raised in church, right? So, I mean, I have no background in this stuff. And as I start to follow Jesus, and then I figure out that somehow church has something to do with that, so people kind of talk me into showing up at different things like this. Some of you may have been tricked into being here tonight. <laughs> Welcome. I, I, hope, I hope this is helpful for you. But that was definitely my experience. I couldn't quite piece together what was going on all the time. Um, and I can remember saying very specific things to pastors and leader types that now people say to me, I would say this. I would say, I love your church. People say, people say it to me all the time. It's pastor, man, you got a great church. And effectively what they're saying is, this is Jay's church. <laughs> and I'm allowing you to participate. Right? Like, like I'm a king of like a, of a kingdom. And that you are allowed into the gates. Well, almost like, like your home, right? You, if you go to somebody's home, you're like, man, you have a nice house. Thanks, thanks for having us over. And many people, and I remember saying that out loud to a pastor, you have a great, you have a nice church. And then, and then noticing a transition in me to be able to say something like, yeah, I go to this church. I'm not just like, you know, there, there's church, this church, this is, this is. My church, ooh, ooh, that felt, ooh, huh. do I want to say that? You know, this is my church. And then to be able to say something as audacious and dramatic as, I love my church. 
You just heard Preston say it. I love my church. I love this church. I love my church. I wonder if you just took a little mental inventory right now, just for a second. Just for yourself. Just inside your own mind. Take, take a mental inventory. How easy would it be for you to say, I love my church. I love my church. But that assumes a bunch of things, doesn't it, right? Like, first of all, this is actually your church. Like, you want to associate. Some of you are like, I'm a guest. This is getting way too intense. We're doing racial gender stuff, and now you're making me say I love my church. I'm just, I'm just saying if you can't say that, I wonder what stands in the way. What's between where you are now and what it would be like to say that? What's in between? What, what kind of healing maybe for your life? Maybe you've been through some pain. Maybe there's things where you're like, man, I, man, I'm just hurt. I don't know if I could do that. What kinds of things would you need to experience or believe? What would have to happen with people? What stands between, yeah, I mean, I go to this church to, yeah, this is my church to I I love my church. If in your mind you're imagining some idealistic perfect uh, um, a number of things, like there's a perfect church that you will discover. Um, let me just save you a lot of time right now. Uh, this is not that church, number one. Uh, number two, that church does not exist. If you're looking for the perfect church, um, if you find it, leave immediately because you will break it. <laughs> because it was perfect before you came. Don't hurt their perfect church with your screwed up stuff, right? Like this thing that we call the church is by definition flawed in really dramatic ways. But boy, there, there's a reality, a tension to try to figure out what does it mean that this is my church and that I love my church. The great news is um, the, the scriptures have the very same thing going on, right? I mean, this isn't like a new problem. This is a problem people would have forever. Like, how do I discover my own identity? I am who I am. And then what does it mean then for me to say, but I'm a part of this thing that isn't just tactical, but it's emotional. It's, uh, it's relational, right? It isn't just like, yes, I show up on Sundays or whatever, I will answer emails when required. But like, how is this my people? That's something that every human being would have to go through and definitely did in the, in the, the time of the writing of the scriptures in the New Testament. One of the ways that uh, the Apostle Paul takes this problem on, head on, and then describes what it means to be the church in some ways that might help us think about this is by referring to the church as the body of Christ. The body of Christ. Uh, in Romans 12, the passage we just read, um, Paul's describing the church as a body. He says, and as you sort of find life with God and you give your life up to follow God, you'll find yourself connected to these other people in an interesting way. By the way, this fits a theme of the story of the scriptures that makes an argument that we as the people of God, people that find life with God, 
we aren't the kind of people that just hand out books. Like God doesn't generally just give edicts from heaven on how you're supposed to live. Well, when God wanted to tell us something, he was wrapped in human flesh and walked among us and showed us what God was like. Jesus is what God has to say. He's the word of God, right? In the same way, that's what God's still up to. And here's the crazy, audacious claim. The church, the people of God, are the body of Christ in the world. We show the world by the way we live together and by what we express to the world what God is like. It's quite a claim. And it means that somehow you're a part of that. That's Paul does this in Romans chapter 12, for example. He does it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He does it in Ephesians 4. Over and over and over again, this is one of the key descriptions. And there's a few different interesting things about this. If you've ever been around church, you've probably heard before, like that one thing that the analogy of a body demonstrates is diversity that finds unity, right? Like, so in 1 Corinthians 12, he says, using the body analogy, how weird would it be if we were all eyeballs? I mean, imagine some freak of nature creature that's just eyeballs, just connected together. Lots of eyeballs. Or what kind of a freaky creature would be like just hands and mouths? (laughs) Some of you are more imaginative than others. You're like picturing it in your mind, right? It's like this creepy, freaky mutant thing, right? And, and what Paul's saying is, thank God that's not what we're like. That when we enter into life with God, we don't have to conform to all become the same kind of thing. And more than that, that diversity isn't a problem to be solved, but like a beautiful thing that we get to live with people so different than us. I mean, even if you look around a room like this tonight, there's a lot of different people in this room. There's people with completely different stories. You know, like totally different worldviews that bring you into this room. Different educations, different kinds of jobs, different struggles and challenges, different sort of emotional realities, different places in how we relate to God or have relationship with God if we have One at all, we might just be exploring it. We're all thrown together in this place, this diversity that hopefully is finding some kind of life around Jesus. And what a beautiful, beautiful picture where what Paul is saying is, no, 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 you don't have to be something else. That it's in the diversity of God's people that we really experience something beautiful. And then that diversity that forms into unity Uh, actually has then a a like purpose. So all these random things work together to demonstrate something to the world, to care for the poor, to serve those who are in need, to strengthen marriages and raise kids and, you know, figure out what does it mean to be single and really live like a great life, not imagining you're like half human, as the world would tell you but that you are made in the image of God. That you were made beautifully and you found a family when you enter into life with God and that these people live with one another and for one another and for the world in a way that screams something out to the world that in all this diversity, we still choose to submit and yield and love and serve because we do something dramatic for the world. If you've been around church, 
any amount of time, you've probably heard those two things. That's why I got them out of the way immediately. I want to draw your attention to something that I think is much more interesting in this passage. Because it takes head on something that sort of exists in the American culture that frankly the New Testament and the scriptures and many sociologists and psychologists are saying is actually pretty destructive to our own psychology and our own identity. That the scriptures challenge us to think differently. And that is that this passage and many passages like it take head on the sort of strong American phenomenon known as the self-esteem movement. Have you ever heard of like self-esteem? Like you should have self-esteem. Since about the 60s in America, uh, we've believed that if we raise kids to just love themselves enough, they'll live really interesting lives. (laughs) Sounds silly when you say it out loud, doesn't it? But it's actually been strongly rooted in our educational systems and our family training. I remember as a kid, uh, we would do this exercise. It was called the ILAC, ILAC exercise, which stands for I am lovable and capable. And we would write out these things so that we could feel good about ourselves. We do these exercises. We stare into the mirror and repeat things to ourselves. And then you just imagine how everybody loves me because I'm amazing. And psychologists and sociologists are reflecting back to us that this has had an incredibly damaging effect in the psyche and in the emotional health of people. And it stands in stark contrast to what Paul says here in Romans chapter 12 about how do you actually find security and comfort? How do you find a steadiness on the inside? I mean, think about this. We live in the wealthiest nation in all of human history. You do right now. We have the most comfort. We have the most opportunity that anyone has ever experienced, literally in in the course of human history. And yet, everyone that studies Americans says that we are horribly unsteady on the inside. We are rapidly insecure, riddled with anxiety. How do you find steadiness? How do you manage the insecurities that will so easily beset you? When you're not everything you hope you could be. How do you do that? Seriously, I mean, how do you do that? Well, Paul makes a beautiful argument for it here that, frankly, is one that you almost never hear in our culture. In Romans 12, 3 and 4, if you can pop that for me. Listen to what he says. Listen to the way he says it. He says, for by the grace given to me, this is, we just read it. Some of you are like, I've never seen that. You saw it just a minute ago. Anyway, here it is. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For each of us has just one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, blah, blah, blah. I'm stuck there. He says something really interesting here. He says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think of yourself with sober judgment. Now, many of you know that the New Testament was written in Greek. It's not written in English. And so every time that we go to translate things into English from the Greek, we have to do the best we can. And then we try to make it sound readable, right? But what Paul is doing here in the Greek is very, very interesting. I actually have a slide to show it to you because it says something uh, that's really intense. He uses a series of Greek words here. 
that are from the root of that top word, phreneo, which means to think. He uses two different words. He says hyperphreneo, to think more highly, is how it's translated in that passage, right? So don't think of yourself more highly. Don't hyperphreneo. But instead, sophreneo, think soundly or realistically. Both of these aren't wonderful translations, and here's why. Uh, anyone that knows anything about language would know that to say something's hyper means you're thinking too much. It's like there's too much thinking. What, what Paul's effectively saying is, don't think about yourself so much. Like, don't make your life about how you think about your life. And then he, he juxtaposes it against, well, think soundly is how we translate it in the NIV, which is not very helpful again, because so for now is he, he says, think safely. Build margins in how you think in such a way that you stop damaging yourself. Don't think of yourself as though you can do everything you think you can do. That you're going to be everything you hope you can be. Be safer than that. Think more safely about yourself. Pull the margins back and be, the reason we translate this way is be realistic. Be thoughtful about who you are and who you're not. And know, and this is the key, this is how it translates then in the rest of Romans 12 passage. And know that you are a small part of a big thing. See, in our American culture, we are so individualistic. We have told everyone they can be whatever they want to be. And that they're supposed to be the hero of their own story. You're supposed to be like this magical, wonderful person that someone would one day want to make a movie about. And in my case, Will Smith would play me. <laughs> because Will Smith is amazing. I wonder who would play you. You know, and you, you imagine these things, right? You imagine like who would play, play you and what would your, the story of your life be? And, you know, we tell kids, I'm going to start the phrase and then you finish it. Ready? You're going to know what it is. Listen, when you grow up, you can be whatever you want to be. Is that true? No. So <laughs> if you're wondering, it's not true. You know, like some of you are like, I don't know, is it? I, I've still been hoping. No, it's not true. It's not true. That's hyperphoneo. Thinking about yourself too much. You're imagining anything that's not true. Now, we do that, again, because we, we want to affirm and we want to esteem and we want to encourage. But what Paul's saying is, no, 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 be careful. If you make yourself the hero of your own story, that puts nothing but pressure on you. It means you feel pressure every day to become something that you're not sure you can become. And you know why you're not sure you can become it? Because some of the things you imagine, you can't become. We, not, not very many people get to be president in a generation. If it were true that everyone could be whatever they want to be, there'd be a lot more astronauts and a lot fewer janitors. Right? I watched uh, when I, this might date me, so hang in there. I watched this series of TV shows that was based on the book Roots by Alex Haley. I watched them as a 
as a kid, and I was riveted. I don't know if anybody's ever read Roots or seen those. You've seen those shows? They redid them. I mean the old ones with, from the guy from Reading Rainbow, that one. Um, dude, I watched these as a kid, and I was rattled. I was like, listen, I want to be black, like bad. It was such a moving story. I'm telling you, I watched it. I was like, this is so moving. This guy goes all the way back to Africa. He hears the story. He overcame through this struggle. It's this beautiful, epic story. And I can remember um, saying to my my parents, by the way, my dad's Indian. Some of you are like, what's Jay anyway? Anyway, my dad's, my dad's Indian. My mom's white. And I can remember saying to him at, at, at the dinner table, man, I... This is like the most moving story. What's our story? And it was like, meh, meh. and I remember just thinking, I want to be a part of this beautiful, epic struggle, you know, and, and guess what? I'm, I'm me. And you're you. And we have the life that we have. Some of it's beautiful. Some of it's horrible. Some of it's interesting. Some of it's just downright boring. But it's your life. And it's the one that's been entrusted to you. And that life, the one you have, it was always meant to be a part of a larger story. That your little life was meant to be a part of a big story. Not some kind of big life that fits into a small story. Americans also suffer from something that's very unique to us. Um, it's called uh, the self-affirmation problem. Anyone, anyone ever heard of uh, anyone taking a psychology 101 class? Anyone here had to take one of those? Uh, the self-attribution error is what's actually technically called. I think I have a definition for it. The self-attribution error is really simple. That we attribute to ourselves better motivations than we do to other people. It's important for you to know this because it's actually almost, it's a very powerful attribute of Americans. Um, it's actually the precursor to narcissism. So like one of the things we tend to do, I'll give you some examples, is if I see your kid, you know, if you're a parent, I see your kid screaming in the grocery store, I think those parents need help. What is wrong with you? You're not a very good parent. If my kid's screaming in the grocery store, I go, She's been a little sick, okay? She's just tired. If you fail a test, I think you obviously lazy and you didn't study. If I fail a test, it's because it's been a hard week. I see you as overweight. I see me as big boned. <laughs> right? I mean, on and on it goes. I will give myself the benefit of the doubt that I will not give you. Just watch people in traffic, right? Within a 30-second window, someone cuts you off, and you're like, who does that guy think he is? You know, oh, idiot. <laughs> Ten seconds later, you accidentally cut someone off. You're like, hey, man, just chill out, all right? You know, what's well, a big hurry? <laughs> right? I mean, it's in a 15-second window. And when you notice that psychologically, if you do studies of people all over the world, Americans are the worst offenders. We're the worst. Because again, 
Most of us have been raised in a soup and a culture that tells us the world really does revolve around you. Psychologists call this the Walt Disney syndrome. They're all meant to be princes and princesses and everything ends up working out happily in the end. And here's basically Paul's argument. Stop doing that. It's damaging to you. You're a part of a body. Think of yourself with safely that you're a part of something that connects to everyone. More modern example is what we'll finish with. Uh, how about like a pixel on a screen? Imagine a movie theater. You know, you know what pixels are? Tons of pixels make up the screen. Imagine you're a pixel on the screen and you can see the audience and they're laughing and they're crying. And you're thinking, I'm killing it. <laughs> this is working. And so you decide to beef it up a little bit as a pixel. So you fire and you flare a little bit hotter. You know, and you start noticing people just staring at you like, what's wrong with that? Have you ever had a pixel on a TV set in your house just like start misbehaving? <laughs> Have you had this? If you, if you haven't, look forward to it. You know, it starts doing the wrong color. And, and just in the same way, imagine just flaring like that and then realizing, oh, something's wrong. So then you diminish, then it goes black. Also doesn't look quite right. What Paul's saying is you fit something where you're supposed to fit perfectly in the midst of this overall story. And what we have is generations of people in America that are flaring and disappearing because they think it's up to them. They get themselves excited for a big date night and they flare for that date night so they can shine because this could be Mr. Right. And it isn't. And then they suck back down into themselves and they live discouraged and depressed. And I must be ugly and stupid and meaningless. And then you flare up for the big career moment. This is my job. This is the one that's going to change everything. This is the step that's going to lead to the step that's going to make me the person I want to be. And you get the job. But it doesn't work. Turns out an extra $20,000 a year doesn't change you you're still you. And so you shrink and you diminish and then you grow up and you have a midlife crisis because, you know, this woman you married, this man you married who was supposed to solve everything for you, you suddenly realize is not who, they're not who they're supposed to be to make me feel better. And these kids aren't. And so I'm going to buy a red sports car. Because I'm going to flare back into my life. And we know where it leads. It's so predictable. Paul says, you were never meant, you were never meant to live your life alone. You are the body of Christ. The unique gifts and call, the way he's made you, you can esteem yourself in the whole, not just in yourself. This is hard to imagine. We are so <laughs> disposed against this that it takes some real work <laughs> to imagine that this is what it means to be the church, to love your church. Right now, in this room, right here, in this room tonight, there are ways you can esteem yourself because you're a part of something that's bigger than yourself. Right now, tonight. Do you know in this room right now, this second, 
there are people here that foster and adopt children who are not their own out of a call they believe from God to serve people on the edges of our society right now. And you, if you choose to believe it, are a part of that because you're a part of this body. There are people in this room tonight, right now, that I can see who have been on the verge of suicide. They didn't think their life was worth living. But because they had family, because they had friends, because they had a way to connect with others, not only they are alive, but they are thriving here tonight. There are people who have been addicts, who have been in jail, in this room tonight. And it's more than this room, isn't it? You're a part of the whole body of Christ. All over this city today, people have gathered and taken the elements of communion and worshiped and prayed, and that's your family. You are a part of how God is redeeming all kinds of people all over this city today. That's your team. That's your family. And it's happening all over the country, you know, all over the country today. <laughs> there are people that are slamming into life with God, realizing how much God loves them that they never even knew he was there. That's your family. That's people doing the work today. Right now, in the streets of Puerto Rico, there were people wading in water up to their chest, rescuing people because they love and follow Jesus. They're a part of the body of Christ. They are your family. And the small things you do to pray and to be generous, to give money, it's a part of that body. Right now, I have friends, people I've lived life with that are in the South Sudan that are running for their lives and yet collecting orphans all along the way because they love and follow Jesus. And those are my brothers and my sisters. That's my family. And your family stretches back over time and will crash forward into the future. There is much to celebrate and hope for and believe in. It's not all up to you. But you do have a part. And I wonder if we could raise our kids differently, you know, to believe they're a part of a family. I think I have a quote. Uh, I, I made it up. Uh, it says narrative, I think, where I imagine like what it would be like to tell this to our kids instead of what we normally tell them. Do you, do you see it? It says narrative. It's there. I promise you. Just scroll around. You're going to find it. It says narrative. I saw it a minute ago. Narrative. Actually says the word narrative. Imagine we could be a family that you can do it. There it is. Imagine if we said this to our kids. You will grow up to be a part of a wonderful family that loves you and has a place for you, a family that stretches around the world forward and back through time, a family that will give you a place to serve so that even the tiniest thing you contribute will be considered important by God and will be used for great things. And what if that wasn't just true of what we taught our kids, but what if you believed that was true? What if that's what it meant to be a part of this body that you might say, I love my church. I esteem myself in the great things that we get to do together. One question that was asked Jay was, what does it mean to make courageous decisions? While on the other hand, Paul says to think safely. 
Well, I don't know that he, he means safely in relationship to thinking about yourself too much. I mean, it is juxtaposed, right? So he isn't just saying, be safe. Actually, here's the horrible news. The New Testament almost never tells you to be safe. I mean, you'd have to work really, really hard. This might be the closest thing you can get to, like, be safe. Um, much of the New Testament teaching, including Jesus himself, is uh, if you are prepared to die, you'll leave an interesting life. He who seeks to find his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So uh, one of the great values of the scriptures is in suffering. Not needless suffering or useless suffering. You can suffer because you're stupid, right? Anybody suffer because they were stupid? I have. Um, drink too much, whatever, right? That's not like, oh, I'm suffering for Jesus. Uh, no, it's just suffering. Uh, but there is suffering because you're trying to become a certain kind of person who follows Jesus and that that's worth the while. So, yeah, you have to be courageously thinking. This section where he says, think safely is in relationship to just overthinking yourself. That's all that it really is referring to. And this next question is probably pretty personal for a lot of people. Some people who hear that the church is a big family may recoil back because family for them means a place of abuse mm -hmm. or neglect. What makes the church any different, especially since the church family may be filled with the very same people? Yeah, the horrible news is, in a lot of ways, it's not different. If I told you otherwise, I would be lying to you. I would love to tell you, don't worry, if you're in a church, all goes well. But I'm sure any number of you could stand up in this room and say, that has not been true for me, right? And is that true? Just looking around the room? Yeah, you, can, you don't have to raise your hand. You can just nod and be like, yeah, that's true, Jay. However, what we do see in Jesus is an opportunity for old things to be made new. The great cry of Jesus in Revelation is, behold, I make all things new again. It's one of my favorite things to say when I baptize people. If you've ever been baptized by me, you maybe heard me whisper it into your ear. Behold, I make all things new again. That making new again doesn't happen immediately. It's not like a magic wand. So yeah, we all bring our broken families into this family. But where else do we go? What's your other option, right? Like, you're going to move to Montana and build a fence, get some guns. That's an option. Some of you are like, been thinking about it. Okay, well, that's one option. But if you're going to make an option to be with people, which I think what life is really for, who else do you want to throw your lot in with? I hope you would throw your lot in with people that say, we believe in an, a loving God who makes all things new again, that we learn to forgive and repent and care and serve. Who else are you going to vote for? Who else are you in with? I appreciate it. Can you tell Jay thank you? Give her a round of applause. This is My pleasure. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's a very powerful thing to remember. We don't shine brighter or shrink back. And it's like if the Broncos win, 
you can say we won even though you didn't even play on the field. So he's right. All the people that are in the faith community across the world, when they're doing things, you say we're, we're winning even though you're not there. Just want to encourage you in two things, and I'll pray for you. Um, meetups start this week, and they're going to be awesome. So if you're in a, like a meetup that just hangs out and does all these things, you'll notice that you'll start to move towards one of three things, praying together, worshiping together, or reading the scripture together. And if you're a meetup that already does that, you pray together and you're intense and you read the scriptures and life transformation, you'll see yourself moving towards we want to be involved in serving the community in some way. Both are really healthy and both are Jesus-centered things. So that starts. And then um, when you say, I love my church, if that's new for you, or if you're like, I've always loved my church, I would encourage you when you talk about your church to people, being able to say those words, I love my church because of this.